If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would ask you to open them up with me to 3 John, 3 John, that small, short, little letter just before the book of Revelation, John writing this letter to the churches of his time. We've been looking at his letters, 1 John being the most substantial of the letters. Last week we looked at 2 John, today 3 John. This is the shortest of the letters, but probably the most intimate, the most personal of the letters. John writes to a dear friend and brother, uh, but he will mention three different men in his letter, the one he writes to and two others. Entitled today's message, The Witness of Three Men the witness of three men. We get a little glimpse of each of these men, their character, their witness, how they are representing Christ in the church. You know, it's Jesus who said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus letting us know, speaking to his disciples, speaking to you and I, you are to be lights in your generation. You are to shine the good news of Jesus Christ through your life. And your life is a testimony. Your, your life is a witness of some kind, for good, for bad. Your life is on display, and especially as a Christian, People are watching and observing how you conduct your life in every setting, not just in church, but how you conduct your life even outside of a church setting. A few months ago, my wife and I, we were down visiting my daughter and son-in-law. They live in the Costa Mesa area. Brian and Jenny, you know them. They come up monthly and lead worship with us. My daughter is due any day now. She's a couple days overdue on our second grandchild, so uh, we're, we're just waiting any moment for that phone call. But a couple months back, we were down visiting in that, they live in the Costa Mesa area, and we were staying in a, an RV down there close to where they live. That way we can kind of visit them, and then we were staying in this RV. And we were there at the RV park and setting some things up, and across from the, the parking lot, this, this man began to walk over towards me. And I think I was setting up something outside uh, uh, there at the campground, and he came walking over, and, and I looked up at him, and he was still a long ways up, and, and he smiled, and he waved to me like he knew me, and I thought, who is this guy, you know? And I'm thinking, well, better be nice. Maybe he's visited our church once. Who knows? I, I need to kind of be on my good behavior, right? <clears throat> and he comes up and he says, Richard Shork, Richard Shork, do you remember me? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't remember you. He said, well, you know, I, I do part-time driving for your family business that you used to work in. He says, I've been doing it for years. You don't remember me? I said, no, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't remember you. He says, well, I remember you. He said, I remember the one day I came up to your office about 15 years ago. And I said, oh no, this is gonna be bad. <clears throat> I said, well, what happened? <laughs> and he said, well, I came up into your office, you know, and introduced myself. I told you I was just one of the, the, the drivers working part-time, and I told you that I was a Christian. 
and that I had a ministry, some men that I was discipling and working with, and, and that I had these guys and that, I, that I wanted to take them out to lunch, and I asked you for money. And I said, oh, what did I say, you know? <laughs> he said, well, you asked me how much money I thought I would need. And I told you that I, I would need about $20. And I said, then what did I do? <laughs> he said, well, you reached into your pocket and you gave me 40 and then you prayed for me and said, God bless you. And when he said, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind I thought, that doesn't sound like me. Are you sure, are you sure it was the right guy? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. That was a, that was a good day. And uh, he said, I'll never forget it, Richard. I'll never forget it. And he said, then I heard years later that you went on to be in the ministry. He says, I go to Calvary Chapel Downey. And uh, I'm so blessed to hear that you're in the ministry, brother. Just be encouraged. God's using your life. I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. I, I needed that. I said, well, brother, you have been a great encouragement to me today just to know that even back then, the Lord still had grace enough to find ways of usefulness for my life. But you never know, do you? The writer of Hebrews says, you know, be kind to strangers. You never know when you're entertaining an angel. You don't know how God is going to use your life. And that's why we need to be spiritually ready to go, kind of living for Christ in every setting. Not just when we come to the church setting and, and we're all in spiritual mode. We need to be really uh, a light and a witness out in our, in our world and life in which we live. Three men that John is going to speak to us here about. The first one, uh, who is the one he addresses in the letter, a brother by the name of Gaius. And we see in him the ministry of encouragement and hospitality. That's the testimony and witness of his life. Look with me, verse one. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John writing to Gaius, very personal. Uh, he says, my children. It, maybe Gaius is someone that John's ministry brought to the faith. John's in his 80s as he writes this letter. Everybody is a child in his mind, but Gaius seems to have a special connection. And John, through meeting up with mutual acquaintances, hears that Gaius is doing well, that he's serving the Lord, that he's walking in the truth. And as he writes to him, he says, listen, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, this was something of a common greeting during that day. So it's not something we can embrace and say, oh, this is a promise from God. We're all gonna be prosperous and in good health and, and everything's gonna always go well. I do believe that God does prosper and that God does bless but this is more of just a greeting, just as we would say at the end of our letter, you know, Lord bless you. I have a pastor friend who often signs his letters, be blessed. And just this well wishing from John to his friend. But it is a sincere desire, a sincere expression of love. But he wants to let Gaius know that he has been an example 
to other believers. And this is a good testimony for all of our lives that we would be an example to other believers, his witness to others. He's walking in the truth and other Christians are noticing. He's not doing it to be noticed, it's just the truth lived out in his life that creates a light, a testimony, a witness. And so much so that John is hearing feedback through mutual acquaintance. Hey, remember Gaius? Yeah, how's he doing? He's serving the Lord. He's walking with Jesus. He's walking in the truth. That means that his life is uh, walking out in the ways of the word of God. His, His life is exemplifying the truth of the word. And this becomes an example to others. And, and, and I think, you know, for all of us, that's, there's a challenge there, you know. How do others see your Christian walk? Not just at church, but at home, in the workplace, in front of family. How about the freeway? That's the hardest place to be a Christian, isn't it? What's the testimony? He says, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I know that you believe it, because you walk it, you live it. And that's the testimony of Gaius. But it's not just this example to other believers, it becomes a source of great encouragement to the Apostle John. Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. His life is a testimony and a witness to other believers, but it's an encouragement to those that are in ministry. You see, John had an apostle's heart. He desired to see others do well in the Lord. It's a shepherd's heart. It's a pastor's heart. It's the heart of Christ. I think it's the heart that all of us have some measure of. To see others doing well in Christ, that should be an encouragement. True ministers long to see others doing well. The apostle Paul, he said this in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 8, he says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God? You see, when you live for the Lord, You're an example to those around you, but you're also an encouragement to those that serve in ministry over you. You want to be a blessing to ministry leaders? You want to be a a blessing and encouragement to pastors? Live for the Lord. Just walk in Jesus. That will bring a smile on our face and on our hearts. You know, we had the young adults last night at my home. They had their costume party. I was in full costume, I was a homeowner, and uh, they were dressed in all kinds of creative costumes. I, I just visited, peeked my head in a little bit. I'm not really a young adult, I just can't pull it off anymore. But they were having, and so I, I went upstairs, I was watching a hockey game or something, and, and, and then I hear the worship coming up, you know, from outside, they're gathered out there. And I just muted it, and I just listened to these young adults out there worshiping the Lord. Oh, my heart just swelled, you know, like this proud pastor, if you will, this proud father over these young people loving the Lord. My daughter was among them, so I had the added blessing of a father kind of rejoicing in, you know, your children doing well in the Lord. 
You know, our lives have impact in other people's lives. As you live for the Lord, there's things going on that you don't even know, you don't even realize how God is using your life, how God is ministering to others through your life. Gaius has this testimony. He is a witness. But we look on. Gaius has other qualities that John highlights for us. Pick it up with me in verse five. John wants to speak concerning his hospitality. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. I've heard of this also, that you're treating the brethren and strangers well. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, the unbelievers. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Now in the early church, Ministry, many ministers would travel and visit the local churches. Uh, you got to remember, this was the church early years. It's not like there were churches on every corner. And so to go and have a guest speaker, they would have to travel a distance to come and minister in that place. And it was the practice to open the doors up to those visiting ministers and take care of them while they're in town and show hospitality. We had the same thing. We had a brother from Calvary Chapel over in Hawaii come and speak at our men's conference. He stayed in my home until we went up to be at the men's retreat. So this is a common thing in the early church, especially. It's not like they had lodging and convenient places. So the church would open their hearts up to these visiting ministers. Now, John had warned in 2 John, he said, don't open your house to just everybody. Some of these guys are phonies and cons. Don't even let them come minister. But now he's talking to those about those who are sincerely serving the Lord. He says, these are men that are, uh, that are working for his, Jesus' namesake. And he says, you do well when you come alongside them and you help them and you open your hearts to them. For the brethren and for strangers, sometimes they would come with ministry teams, people you didn't know. Hey, they're Christians, they're, they're brothers in Christ. We welcome them. And there is a ministry of hospitality that I think continues today. It's the idea of being open and welcome to all who would come in sincerity to gather in our fellowship. And so, you know, we have the ministry of hospitality. You think about it, it's, we think of it mainly as coffee and refreshments, but the intention is to create a welcoming atmosphere, a place where people can come and fellowship together, come and get connected. Our heart, our doors are open. Come, have a cup of coffee with us. Hey, before you run home, take time, sit around in a comfortable area and just get connected. We want that sense of community in our church. And so John is commending Gaius because, again, the witness has gone out concerning his hospitality. This is something, again, a message taught throughout the New Testament. John, excuse me, Paul in Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. 
Hospitality is to be a spirit that permeates the New Testament church, not just those with the gift or the ministry of hospitality. There are some who are just naturally gifted. I mean, you know, some people are just so warm and welcoming in personality. And even if you have opportunity to visit their home, there's just this instant feeling at home. Others, you walk in and it's like, oh boy, I don't want to misstep on the carpet here. It's a little unsettling, right? It doesn't mean that they're not welcoming, but you know, some just have a warm, welcoming heart. But the church is to be given to hospitality. And that's the witness of Gaius. That's the testimony of his life. And not only was he uh, open-hearted, but we see that he was generous. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. For they went forth for his namesake, taken nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. John's talking about sending them on in a manner worthy of God, blessing them financially, helping them in their ministry, in their travel. You do well when you do that. That way they don't have to take anything from the Gentiles. They don't have to look to the world for resource. The body of Christ funding itself as those that are ministering to the body. And so this idea of being open-hearted, hospitable, welcoming, this heart that is generous, looking to um, you know, bless and take care of the body of Christ. And in so doing, he says, that you may become fellow workers for the truth. In a, in, when we embrace ministry, when we are generous and give to ministry, when we are welcoming of ministry in our midst, we become partakers of that ministry. When we send out a missionary and support them in their work out in the mission field, we can't all go to the mission field. But as we send them on in a manner worthy of God, the Bible says we become fellow workers for the truth. We become co-laborers. We're partners in that work. You're a partner in the work that God is doing in this community, at this church, in the way that you are welcoming to the community and your witness of hospitality, in the way that you generously support and provide for the ministry so that we can have a place to meet and we can function in the ministries that God has called us to. We're in this together and we are in this to partner for the work of the truth. This is for, for God's kingdom to advance. Jesus said, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. There's something that connects us through hospitality and generosity. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This should be evident in our lives as a church. We ought to be welcoming to visitors. We ought to be inviting to the community. We don't want to just kind of become isolated and insulated from the bad, dark world out there. We need to be opening up our doors so that the light of the gospel will go out and touch and make impact in our generation. That's a big part of why we gather. That's why we come together, that we can love one another, encourage one another. And this should be the testimony of believers that are walking and living in the truth. Let's look at the second gentleman that, uh, the second individual that John is going to identify. 
we see the testimony, the witness, the light of Gaius. It's good. Now we look to another man named Diotrephes, and his witness is completely different. His witness is one of pride and prejudice. Yes, just like the movie, pride and prejudice. Verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. A different man called to light here. A man by the name of Diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence. What's the witness of his life? He's in church, but what's his testimony? It's a testimony of pride and prejudice. It's a testimony that is not good. He says, firstly, uh, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, does not receive us. So here's one of the fruits of pride. Disrespectful to authority. This is the apostle John. He's the last living apostle. He was there at the crucifixion, the resurrection. He is one that lived and ministered with Jesus. He's, he's the elder of the whole church. He's the, you know, and, and even this Diotrephes even takes, you know, issue with the apostle John. So the question is, Diotrephes, who do you submit to? If even the apostle John has no kind of registering in your heart as someone that God has given leadership for the church and trusted to the leading of the church, you don't even respect him. And this is pride. Pride does not respect authority. Pride wants to only be in authority. It doesn't, he doesn't receive us. And, and it's especially uh, noteworthy because it's, it's not just anybody. It's the apostle John. So we see in pride, there is a disrespect for authority. The other thing we notice about pride, pratting against us with malicious words. Pride often speaks evil of others. Pride gossips, pride tears down. Pride has to put others down to make itself more important. He always wants the preeminence. And so he even spreads malicious words, untruthful things, questioning, challenging, uh, disrupting the character of the apostle John, undermining him. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. The third thing we notice about his witness and his pride is this harsh treatment of others. Where's the love? Where's the character of Christ? Where's the walking in humility one with another? Not only does he not receive us, but he won't even tolerate anybody who will receive us. He has to be in charge. No one else can have any voice in the church but his. He doesn't receive the brethren, any other visiting ministers. As I mentioned in this day, there were others that would come to minister. Not if Diotrephes was there. No, we don't want you. We don't need you. He rejected any other voice coming into the church but his own. And he forbids those who wish to. 
who want to receive and embrace others, he actually puts them out of the church. Harsh treatment of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there is a place for church discipline. There is a place when the church has to uh, address certain issues, and sometimes that manifests, and in, in even it can't even be, you know, we have to break fellowship. But that's not what this is. This isn't church discipline. This is prideful dictatorship. And it's for the false and prideful reasons. It's not based on any truth of doctrine. It's not based on any kind of true disruption, but rather one man's pride and ego. I quote Warren Wiersbe on this text. He says, church dictators are dangerous people, but fortunately they are easy to recognize. They like to talk about themselves and what they have done for the Lord, and they also have the habit of judging and condemning those who disagree with them. And so this manifests in Gaius, this is, uh, in Diotrephes. This is his testimony. Boastful, putting others down, kind of a bully, dealing rudely and disrespectful with others in the church. Boy, that's, that's not the witness that we want. We don't want to be using the church for a place to kind of get our status, get our approval, get our affirmation that maybe we're not getting at home or in the world so we can be somebody here and we act prideful. The church is not a place for pride. God resists the proud. God gives grace to the humble. Listen to Galatians 6 verses 1 through 3. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Pride. Oh, pride is such a... Uh, a spiritual disruption. It's such a quenching of the Holy Spirit. It's such a divider of the body of Christ. Finally, the last individual that we look at here in today's letter is the individual Demetrius. And he has simply a good testimony over his life. Just one verse, verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. He writes to Gaius, he commends Gaius for his reputation. He speaks of Demetrius and warns uh, Gaius about him and says, when I get there, I'll be dealing with this guy. But then he wants to remind him now also of Demetrius. Listen, one of these good ministers, maybe one that, that uh, Diotrephes himself resisted, Listen, I want to commend him to you. This is a man that has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. From all. From, you know, I think that for the believer living in and walking in the truth, it, the witness just takes care of itself. It's not something you have to, to kind of, you know, make sure, pretend to be somebody. You're just living for the Lord. You just walk in the Spirit, and God, His light will shine through you. His grace is upon you. He says that, that Demetrius has a good testimony from all. My sense is both in and outside the church. That's what Paul said to Timothy when he said, listen, when you're looking for men to raise up into ministry, he says in 1 Timothy 3, 7, 
They must have a good testimony among those who are outside, outside the church and fellowship, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The true testimony of the Christian that we want to see raised up in ministry is the Christian that's a Christian in church and outside the church, because that means it's real. It's who they are. That's who Demetrius was. He had a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. Again, John says this man's lifestyle is in line with the truth. He lives the word. His lifestyle, his conduct is in line with the truth of the word of God. That's how we measure a man or a woman's fruit or lifestyle. Not what they say about themselves, but what does their conduct look like measured up to the word of God? Do we see love? Do we see humility? Do we see patience? Do we see grace? Do we see hospitality? Do we see the fruit of the Spirit? That's what the Word, that's how the Word describes Christianity. That's how the Bible teaches us and calls us to live. How, do we, how are they conducting their family? How do they live? How's their marriage? How do they treat their spouse? How do they handle their home, their household? How are they in the workplace? Are they diligent? What, what kind of an employee are there? What kind of a boss and overseer is this person? That's where, that's where Christianity really finds its traction, right? In real life, in real life, the, you're walking in the truth. The qualities and characters of Christ are manifesting through your life. Not because you're so, such a great Christian, but because Jesus is such a great Savior that his love just shows up through the heart and conduct of those that follow him and love him. Those that are walking in close relationship with him. It's fruit that shows up in your life. Fruit is not something manufactured in a factory. Fruit is something that grows on the limbs of a, of a healthy tree. You're the, you're the branches. If you're abiding in the vine, these things will manifest in your life. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. His life lines up with the word and we also bear witness. Fellow believers, spiritual leaders, boy, I'd like, to, I'd like to have that commendation. I'd like to have the apostle John say, this is a good guy. This, is, this guy is legit. This guy is real. This guy is truly a believer. Even, even those, the Apostle John, even those in spiritual leadership notice and acknowledge, oh, God's doing a work in this guy's life. You can just see God working and moving. He's a man submitted to godly spiritual leadership. John commends him, Demetrius. You know, sometimes in our culture, in our Christian day, it's very easy to move from church to church. In John's day, it wasn't like that. There, there weren't just churches on every corner. So to be commended was an important thing so that when you went to another place of fellowship, you went with a sense of blessing. You couldn't just misbehave, get frustrated and leave and go plant yourself somewhere else and everybody say, wow, look, a wonderful new Christian, right? That's why we need to be careful even when God calls us to move on, and God does, God does move us on, 
We need to do that, even do that well. Don't do it with a big disruption and a big kind of see you later, who cares? I'm, I'm out of here. You know, we just prayed for John and Bev Mitchum. What a blessing. They're going to be helping Pastor Danny out in Ventura. And, uh, you know, that's a church, kind of a, a sister church of ours, if you will. Danny sent out from our church, kind of replanting a work there, needing a new pastor and, uh, and a new work starting there. What a blessing for us to be able to send John and Bev with, with the same testimony. Hey, these are good people coming to you. They're going to be a blessing. They were a blessing here. They're going to be a blessing there. And uh, it's important that you move even within the body of Christ, even if God moves you from fellowship to fellowship, that you go to blessing and testimony. Finally here, John concludes his letter and we'll close this morning. Verse 13, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. I, I just, I love that close. I, I, this is the Apostle John. This is the, the elder statesman of the church. And this letter just seems so personal to me. Just, hey, God bless you, friend. Say hi to my friends. Say, and, and, and let them know that, that the friends here greet them also. You know, it just, it, it shows something of the heart of the apostle. I think it shows something of what God intends church life to be. Fellowship and friendship. There's a connection. It, it, it's not this kind of, you know, cold apostle John speaking on behalf of Christ. You know, it doesn't come off that way. It just comes like, hey, I can't wait to see you. I could write more, but man, we'll talk when I get there, friend. And I love that, that communion that he has. I love that connection that he has. And I think it's what the Lord desires for the church. Jesus said, when it went, just before he went to the cross, we're getting ready to celebrate the table here. He said, you know, no greater love hath any man for his friends than he lay down his life for his friends. There is this idea of coming into fellowship with God. God wants us to be friends, to have fellowship with him in a warm and open relationship and with one another. Church should be a place for warm fellowship, a place of good friendship, a place of caring and, and being really welcome and open to one another, that gift of hospitality. It shouldn't be a place of cliques and divisions and, you know, worrying about what someone might be saying about me or you or this or that and divisions and gosh, you get, you just go to work for that, right? You don't need to come to church. No, this is a place where we are family. Now, yeah, we're, we're still just kind of rough around the edges, but that's, this is where we have to come and allow the Holy Spirit to work those edges and to put us together and bring us together. And I think the communion table is a great celebration for that. This is the place where we, where we come and have fellowship with God. It's God's invitation. Hey, come, come have a meal with me. Come to the Lord's table. And how is this available? How is it that we have this access to God, that we have this ability to come and just dine with him because of what it represents, the cross, 
where Jesus paid the price for our sins. That's what created peace with God. What Christ has done for us, removing and cleansing the guilt and distance of sin and giving us this warm, loving access of friendship, of family, of connection with him and with one another. It all happens because of Jesus. Jesus is the one that unites us. Jesus is the one where we are all made one. We're all just sinners coming to the same cross for the same grace. And we're all equal at the cross and we are all united by love at the cross. Jesus said, come, come and I'll give you rest. Come find friendship today. Come find relationship and peace with God today. Let's celebrate who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today's lesson in 1 John, excuse me, 3 John. And Lord, just the, uh, the warm, personal touch of the Apostle John as he writes to a brother, maybe even a child of the faith, a convert of his ministry, but he writes with such warm-heartedness, such friendship. And Lord, he just encourages the brother and Lord, he encourages our hearts today too. Just before we take communion as our heads are bowed in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity for anyone here today that may need to respond to the word of the Lord. And it's good to respond to God in your heart before you go through the symbolic partaking of his cup and his bread. Because this means nothing unless the heart is right. And God would encourage us to embrace this sincerely today. And maybe you're here today and you do not, you do not have that personal relationship with God. You're not walking in that peace with God. You've never come to the cross of Jesus Christ and received by faith the forgiveness that he has made available through the shedding of his blood. And maybe you're here today and you want to, re you want to receive Christ. You want to be sure that you have made that relationship sincere in your heart. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate. Maybe this is a time of self-evaluation and you realize, you know, I, I know Jesus. I, I claim Jesus. I claim Christianity. But I got to say, my witness, my light, the way I'm living my life does not reflect what I believe needs to be true and sincere in my heart. And I want to recommit my life. I want to realign my heart with the Lord today. I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I'd love to pray for you too. So just before we pass out the elements, if you're here today, you want to receive Christ or you want to recommit your life to Christ, I would ask you just to raise your hand We'll pray for you, and then we'll all partake of communion together. Anybody here today, God's speaking to you. You need this prayer before we pass out the elements. One gentleman up here in the front. Anyone else? The Lord's speaking to you. You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. God bless you. Very back. Anyone else? Just before I pray.
And so, Lord, for these two hearts responding to you this morning, I pray that you would meet them with your grace and with your mercy. I pray that they would just open their heart honestly and say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, reestablish my relationship with you, or come into my life maybe for the first time. I want to have peace with you. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you want relationship, friendship, communion with me today. And I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 